Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. If you take your Bibles or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. While you're turning there, I just want to say a quick word of thanks to you who are part of the Bible Center Church family. Uh, those of you who are here today, but also those of you who are joining us online or by TV today, thank you uh, for tuning in with us. It's so great to have you here. Uh, we love seeing your faces, even if it's behind a mask. And so uh, we're praying for you and want to do all we can to serve you uh, in this season. But I also want to welcome those of you who may be new. If you're new to our church family, if you're new to our online or TV audience, let us know how we can connect with you. Everything's right there on the website or the app. We would love to help you get connected and find a place to belong at Bible Center. Today we begin a new series entitled Media on the Mount, Media on the Mount. And so I want to start today by asking this question, how many of you, and my hand will be raised, how many of you have a Facebook account? And who has a Facebook account? Okay, most folks have, what about a Twitter account? Who has Twitter? Anybody have Twitter? All right, Instagram, raise the hands for, okay, a lot more than I expected for Instagram. What about uh, Snapchat? Anybody Snapchat? Uh, this is a big one, TikTok. Who has TikTok? Now we know who the spies are. Okay, good. Yep, uh, TikTok, I'm just kidding. What about MySpace? We're gonna learn, does anybody still have a MySpace account? If anybody's hand is raised, I see one hand at the back. Uh, If you have a MySpace account, you are among the faithful. I want to get to know you because you are a loyal person. But I was thinking this week about social media and and knowing that there's classes offered for us to learn how to appropriately use social media in our roles as leaders and our roles in the community. And I was thinking about how I have actually never been formally trained on how to use social media. Just a few weeks ago, Pastor Sean Thornton was in town, and we went to IHOP. And so I asked Pastor Sean, I said, can you give me some tips as a lead pastor on how I can best leverage social media for the kingdom and for influence and for leadership? And if you know Pastor Sean, he was pastor here about, I guess, 10 years ago or 12 years ago was when he moved on to a church in California. But Pastor Sean always seems to have the right answer. And so uh, I asked him, can you tell me how to use social media? And he looks at me and he says across the table, Matt, I have no idea. Matt, I have no idea. He said, all the rules have changed and they continue to change. And so I want to confess to you this today that, that personally, I also am not the expert on social media. I'm still learning how to leverage it for the kingdom. However, I do believe that Jesus gives us some principles in the Sermon on the Mount that can impact the way we interact with the world, especially through social media. And so what I want to do today is I want to share these eight principles in a moment, and I invite you to take notes. The notes are on the app. They're also uh, on our website. But I invite you to really think with me about these eight principles that Jesus gives and ask the Holy Spirit how you can apply them to your life, specifically in this series about how you can apply them to the way you and I use social media. Let's go ahead and dive in together. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. Matthew 5 and verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Just a little uh, a sidebar there. We just finished up our Exodus series uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, and 
there's so much in the first four chapters, and even into chapter five, how Jesus compares to Moses. I don't have time in this message today to share all those things, but if you're interested in that, you can Google it. I found it fascinating. But he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's the big idea today. Here's the main point, the big idea that I want us to remember. It's this. The greatest influence on social media is a flourishing follower of Jesus. The greatest influence on social media is a flourishing follower of Jesus. It's probably going to be helpful for us to take just a minute and learn what flourishing means. This isn't primarily a Bible word. It's a word that's used all throughout our interaction in society. Flourishing is more than temporal happiness. So sometimes you'll see Matthew chapter 5 translated with happy. Happy are the pure in heart. And, and I know what people are going for for that translation, but, but it's more than temporal happiness. I'm okay with happiness if we can define it as something deeper. In botany, or specifically in dendrology, it refers to the rapidly growing and thriving trees. Rapidly growing and thriving trees. We would look at that plant or that tree, and we would say that tree is flourishing. In psychology, it refers to a state where people experience positive emotions, psychological and social functioning most of the time. I like this definition because it's not even in psychology where they're admitting, we're admitting that it's not just something that you, you arrive at this state and you live in some type of euphoria for the rest of your life. But, but this idea of flourishing is something you experience uh, hopefully most of the time. It's something we work towards as we serve people. In the Bible, it refers to overall shalom. You've probably heard the word shalom or, or peace, wholeness. It refers to being at peace with oneself, at peace with others, and with peace, at peace with God. Psalm 1 is a great picture of this, and all the verses are in your notes. You can look, the, uh, look up those on your own. But Psalm 1 says, blessed or blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And then verse 4 says, this person will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever this person does will prosper. That's a beautiful picture of flourishing in the Bible. In life, this idea of flourishing plays a part in physical wellness, intellectual, social wellness, emotional, spiritual, financial wellness, sexual wellness, occupational, environmental, and family wellness. And so we can kind of picture it, our, our life. We don't want to compartmentalize our life, but our life is multifaceted. And we might be doing really, really well in one part of our life, but maybe not so well in another. And so to, to desire to flourish means that we're asking the Lord to help us 
to holistically flourish, to holistically be well in every area of our life. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's invitation for us to reflect on God's beauty. And then in turn, the more we reflect on God's beauty, we then can become beautiful ourselves. You may have heard, if you've been in church for any length of time, you probably heard the word beatitudes, beatitudes. Well, this idea of beatus is the Latin word for beauty or beautiful. And so I love it that they're called the beatitudes because it's, it's we get this glimpse of the face of God in Jesus and we see that God is beautiful. And then we in turn begin to reflect his beauty in our lives. So we could translate Matthew 5, instead of saying blessed, we could say flourishing. We could say flourishing are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We could say flourishing are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Flourishing are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In many ways, a flourishing life is a balanced life. There's no place where one part of a person's life is fighting against another part of his or her life. It's a life in harmony with self, with others, and with God. And none of us are going to arrive at this completely on this side of heaven. There's just no way. But, but again, it's something Jesus is inviting us into as we can taste what the new heaven and the new earth are going to be like. So next, we need to ask the question, who is a flourishing follower of Jesus? Who are these people? What is a a flourishing follower of Jesus like? Well, it's a person who has found favor with God, who has repented, and is in the process of being transformed in community, not by themselves, and with other believers in every area of life for the benefit of a world that desperately needs God's love. Now, there's a lot there that you can study on your own this week, but this idea of favor with God, I'll break down just two or three aspects. Favor with God, it's important that we find out that favor with God isn't something that we earn. You see, it's not that we repent and then we find favor with God. It's not that we're transformed and then we find favor with God. That's a misinterpretation of the Beatitudes. And this is a common misinterpretation among those who may pick up the Bible and they may think to themselves, well, if I want God to love me, I've got to do these eight or nine things. But that's not it at all. The picture is that God steps in and saves you. God steps in and redeems you. God presents you with the gospel and God seeks you out. And when God seeks you out and loves you and goes after you, then the person that God creates, the heart, the new heart that God creates in you will look like the description of Matthew chapter five. So there's an order that's really, really important for us to get. I love Romans 5, 8. It says, though, even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait for you to clean your life up before he came into your life. Jesus came into your life, and he's still cleaning your life up, just like he's still cleaning my life up. You know, I got a glimpse of this this past week. Uh, Last Friday, Sarah and I went on a date to the new restaurant there at Dunbar, The Pitch, uh, by the Shawnee Fields. 
And as we were just sitting there talking, I, I asked her across the table. It was the last date night before the adoption. And so I asked her, Sarah, I said, are you ready to adopt a child? Are you ready to adopt a child? This will be our third child. Are you ready to adopt a child is the way I said it. And she thought for a minute and she said, no, we're not adopting a child. We're adopting Caden. I was like, wow, what a picture of the love of God. God didn't just save you so you could become Christian number 10,568. God saved you because he loved you. God knew you by name. He knew the hairs on your head. God came after you. And so when we take the gospel to the world, we can look at every man, woman, and child and say, God loves you. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you're listening or watching today on this broadcast and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I believe there's a reason that God had you to hear this is because God has shown you his grace, his favor by presenting you with the opportunity to believe. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So God comes after us with his favor, with his grace, and we, we repent if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write down uh, Matthew 4.17. Matthew 4.17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I had never seen this until this week. Maybe I heard it in a seminary class and I probably wasn't paying attention. But actually, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through 7, is actually a description of what this looks like. If you want to know, what, do you, what does it mean? What is someone who repents? What does it look like? Well, Jesus kind of double clicks on the word repent in Matthew 5 through 7 and describes for us in the Beatitudes, in the entire sermon, what a Christian looks like who lives a life of repentance. So now we have to ask, why? Why does God want you to flourish on social media? Why is this so important that we would do a, a three-week series on social media? Why does God want us to flourish so much in our lives through the Sermon on the Mount? Well, because your witness and public influence depend on it. Your witness and your public influence depend on it. Look with me in verses 13 through 16. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your public influence, your public witness has so much uh, connection to the way you use social media. And so I believe that, that Jesus would be pleased, that, that the Holy Spirit would be pleased if we would take note of the principles he's about to give so that not just that we can be good Christians, but so that we can have the influence, we can be the light and the salt in the world not just by the way we live our lives, but by the way we tweet, 
by the way we post, by the way we engage on social media. So what are those principles? What does God, what does Jesus invite us to do? Here's the first principle. Number one, act humbly, not proudly. Act humbly, not proudly. These are the words of Jesus. Verse three of Matthew five, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I'll ask you, how humble If we were to look at your your social media feeds, if we were to look at the way you engage with others online, how humble are you? Is your social media all about making you look good or do you ever use your social media to make others look good? Now, we've all known for some time that what we post on social media lives forever. There's some cave somewhere, somewhere in the world that I'm told that whatever you post, whatever you tweet, it lives forever. So I've known that for a while, but this week I learned something. I learned that many larger companies will actually look on the social media feeds of their employees, and I've known that for a while, but they're looking for not just big distracting things, but they're also looking for how you leverage your social media to make others look good. And they believe they can determine what kind of team player you're going to be in the corporation by how you make others look good. Let me ask you this question. Do you think these sentences promote humility? I'll read the sentence and you ask yourself, does this promote humility online? Okay, in quotes. If If you tweet or post this, if you disagree with me, you're stupid. Do you think that promotes humility instead of pride? Well, of course it it doesn't. No, no, yeah, thumbs thumbs down. What about this sentence? There's no way a Christian could ever be a Republican or Democrat. You you fill in the blank. Somebody just boldly declares there's no way a Christian could ever be a Republican or a Democrat. See, the problem with such a statement is it just overlooks so many nuances, right? Both parties throughout history have had their strengths and have had their weaknesses, And so just to blanket declare to the world, to your 5,000 followers, that if you vote for this party, you are not a Christian, I struggle with seeing how that's acting humbly and not proudly. Sarah told me the other day, Sarah and I were talking, and we were, she reminded me of the movie Dave from 1993, and I've forgotten about the movie, but here's Dave acting humbly and acting uh, uh, not proudly. And in like a matter of weeks, he balances the budget. He, he gets us out of debt as a nation. And I told Sarah, I said, like, you know what? Maybe it would be great to have Dave back. I don't know where Dave is. Uh, but one of my Louisville friends posted this on his Facebook. He said, to, be my Christ, to my Christian brothers and sisters, regardless of whether you're politically on the right or the left or in the middle, remember this. Jesus' command to love your enemies covers political rhetoric too. Jesus' command to love your enemies covers political rhetoric to act humbly, not proudly. Number two, wisely share your hard times, not just your good times. Wisely share your hard times, not just your good times. This is the way Jesus phrased it. He said in verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Who are the mourners? 
Well, those who mourn are those who both grieve their experiences of injustice, of sin, of tragedy, of death and suffering, and they reach out to others in their grief and compassion of injustice and evil and tragedy and suffering. In other words, these people are people who suffer well and they love others well who suffer. And so I'll ask you, on your social media feed, do you only ever share the good things or do you ever humble yourself and ask others maybe for prayer for a hard time that you're going through or do you ever acknowledge that things just aren't hunky-dory with your life? Now, I put the word wisely here because there's so many other principles in the scriptures that would tell us that a fool speaks his mind. Please don't think I'm teaching that you need to go out of here and every time you're having a bad thought that you tweet it or post it. Please don't do that. But I am encouraging us not to be plastic. You see, the world knows if we're only using our social media just to somehow make it look like we've got our lives together, everything's perfect, everything's great. And that actually turns them off from the gospel. And so I would encourage us, encourage us, wisely share your hard times, not just your good times. This is something I want to learn. If you scroll through my social media page, even today, it's, hey, adoption, hey, it's great. But I pray for me, just as I pray for you, as we grow in this, asking people for prayer, being a little vulnerable at times, showing that Christians are still on the journey too. Number three, respond gently, not aggressively. Respond gently, not aggressively. Verse five, Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Who are the meek? Well, meekness isn't weakness. Moses was the meekest man in all of the earth, but he was by no means a weak man. The meek are those who have been humbled through suffering but yet they don't seek revenge. Instead, the meek seek the glory of God and the welfare of others. Meekness was countercultural in the Roman world. But Jesus said, the meek will inherit the earth. And I would say that meekness is still countercultural to our world. But the words of Jesus are still true. The meek will inherit the earth. Does your social media practice show meekness? How are you in terms of civil discourse? Civil discourse, uh, it's something that I believe the Lord's inviting us to in this political season. Now, I hope that you will still post what you believe and engage in conversation. I actually find it stimulating. I love it whenever somebody can engage. Hey, I lean this way for this reason. What am I missing? And there's civil discourse, and somebody else can say, well, I lean this way for this reason because of X, Y, Z. And so there's this conversation that happens, but you see, we're responding gently, not aggressively. If you were to come to me, maybe I'm aggravated with you. You're, let's just say you're aggravated with me. You might, in person, turn your volume level up to a three, maybe. You know, your intensity up to a three in person. But why is it when we're on social media, we feel like we can turn our volume up to 11? You know, all caps, bold, 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 exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, and say things to each other that we would never say in person. But yet we write it on our phone, on our computer. Tone of voice is so hard to tell from typed words. It takes restraint. It takes wisdom. It takes prayer. 
just tell you a little bit of story about something that happened recently in our home. We ordered a Nordic track bike. So we'd done our research and we were looking at the Peloton and the Nordic track and we were trying to compare the two. And so we thought, well, you know, I think we can go with Nordic track. We'd read the reviews and this was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And so we ordered a Nordic track bike and it finally came. This thing was heavy. It doesn't come in the normal mail, right? They actually bring a little box truck to your house. They deliver it. They drop it in the front door. But you have to put it in the house wherever you want it. And so this thing, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating, but it felt like it was like 200 pounds. It was heavy. Sarah and I both grabbed it. We took it upstairs to where we were going to make our exercise room. And, and we started to carry it upstairs. We're so excited about getting this thing. And it was a significant investment. And so we plug it in and start. The screen doesn't work. The screen doesn't work. So we're super frustrated, right? So basically, we paid a lot of money for a 200-pound paperweight, right? So so she calls and is on, you know, on, on hold, off and on, finally gets them to agree at Nordic Track. They're going to send us a new screen. We're still not even sure if that's the problem. But since then, we've done other research, and we found out that a lot of these that are actually built recently were built quickly because they want to get them out the door really, really quick. Maybe didn't get the inspections that they needed. So uh, a few weeks go by, and I get a little more aggravated, right? I'm like, man, this is, this is their, we've already paid for this thing. And now we can't even use it. And so I decide that I'm going to be the man of the house and I'm going to call and I'm going to get something done, right? I'm tired of this. They're going to, they're going to listen to me, you know, because I'm Pastor Matt Friend. They're going to listen to me and they're going to take this thing back. And so I call and I'm going to hold 28 minutes, right, before I actually get to talk to somebody. When I talked to somebody, I said, hey, I need to ship this thing back. And they said, well, that's a different department. I'm like, well, there's only one number here. And so they transfer me, and I'm going to hold for about another 25 minutes. By the way, the whole call lasted an hour and 33 minutes. That's one thing I do remember, hour and 33 minutes. So it's been almost an hour, and I finally get to talk to somebody. And I said, yeah, I just need to ship the bike back um, because it doesn't work. And I know you said you're going to ship a part, but even the part's on back order. And so I just need you to ship that back. Oh, Mr. Friend, we're so, so sorry. We would be happy to accept the bike back, but it's going to charge you. We're going to charge you uh, $500 to take the bike back. Is a 250 restocking fee and a 250 shipping fee. And I said, no, look, look, I appreciate you telling me that. And I said, but, but it, you, you're not going to charge me $500 to take the paperweight back. Now, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Friend, you signed on the dotted line when you bought it. You know how you sign those things? You don't really read what you sign. You sign that if there's something wrong, that you would let us fix it no matter how many times it took. I'm like, yeah, but everything's backordered. I so badly that, well, I'll tell you what happened on the phone call. So, I had done my research that if you ask for a manager, that after the third time, you can talk to a manager and you can get that $500 fee forgiven. I had read that. And so I told the lady, a very nice lady, I said, ma'am, I'm probably getting a little arrogant at this point. I was like, ma'am, you know, I've already read that if I ask for a manager, I can get a manager to forgive this, this, this amount. She's like, no, sir, that won't be the case. And I'm like, well, okay, let me talk to the manager. And so she goes and comes back and says, the manager's unavailable. And I said, I know you're supposed to say that. It takes me three times. We can go ahead and skip the second time if you want, and I can go and ask the third time. She's like, no. So she goes and asks the manager, comes back. Manager's not available. So finally, the third time, she comes back, and she surprises me. She said, the, the manager's not available. Uh, we're not able to waive any of this fee. And so then I say, probably getting a little, little bit of this, I say, I said, well, um, I've also read that you're not allowed to hang up on me. I said, so I'm not going to get mad. I said, my ethic and worldview doesn't let me to get angry and blow, you know, cuss at you. I said, but I am very frustrated. I said, I'm going to stay on this line, and I'm not going to hang up. I said, I'm going to do my work. 
I'm going to set my phone down and do my work. And then I'm, I'm a pastor, right? I didn't tell her that. But I said, I'm going to do my work and you can't hang up on me. And so she waited and waited and she kept saying, I will hang up this call. I will hang up this call. And I'm saying, no, she's not going to hang up this call. Guess what she did after an hour and 33 minutes? She hung up the call, right? Oh, I so badly wanted to grab my phone and just go to Nordic Track because I have her name and I have her ID. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to do something. Something's got to be done. But I needed a couple weeks to cool off. And the Lord knew I needed to preach this sermon before I tried to get a refund for my Nordic Track. God's inviting us to respond gently, not aggressively. Number four, model ultimate satisfaction in God, not other pleasures. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus isn't saying we can't enjoy other lesser hungers and lesser thirsts. He created the world for our enjoyment, but he is calling us to a place of maturity where we recognize that only he can satisfy our hearts. You see, the mature Christian realizes that every vacation will end. Every great meal will eventually lead to indigestion. Every sexual encounter will only bring one back to the place where they started wanting more. Why did God create all of these things if they don't satisfy? Because God is reminding us there's only one person who could satisfy, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so he urges us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So model that in your social media feeds. Number five, show grace, not a grudge. Show grace, not a grudge. Verse seven, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. The merciful are those who empathize and show compassion. The merciful are the good Samaritan kind of people. And so I'll ask you, do you hold your spouse, your children, your coworkers to an impossible standard, or do you show mercy? Do you expect every person to be perfect, or do you give them room to grow? Are you known for giving people the benefit of the doubt, or do you always assume the worst? Have you in this season during the pandemic publicly shamed someone on social media because they take a different view than you do on mask wearing or school openings or anything related to COVID-19? God invites us to show grace, not a grudge. That doesn't mean we don't have hard conversations. A couple of our staff had posted a, a video a while back and the video was very good. I felt that it just reflected the gospel in terms of racial reconciliation, which is something that Jesus was very, very concerned about. And we'll talk about that later on. But they shared a video, and the video itself was good. But underneath the video, you know how you click on see more on the videos on Facebook? If you click on the video and see more, underneath it, it had the hashtag defund the police. Now, of course, that's not what we stand for as a church. Uh, we stand for righteousness and godliness and racial reconciliation and peace and justice, but we don't stand for what some mean whenever they say defund the police. Our church is filled with police officers and their spouses. And so the call started coming in, and rightfully so. And, and a few of my friends said, hey, uh, I, I don't think they meant, they understood that, that that hashtag was there. 
And sure enough, they didn't. And so after we approached them, they were like, oh my goodness, yeah. It's just one of those things that they love the video but didn't look at all the hashtags underneath. And that was a great example of people in our body just giving other people grace and not holding a grudge. And so I would encourage you to do the same. Social media is a minefield that requires a lot of grace, not a lot of grudges. Number six, be real, not fake. Be real, not fake. Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The pure in heart know the temptation of externalism and the honor that comes with with looking good. Nevertheless, the pure in heart care more about revealing God in their life and in their heart than they do about playing a part or wearing a facade. Jesus here isn't saying that we have to be somehow sinless. He certainly calls us away from sin, but here this doesn't mean sinless, but it means devoted. It means single-minded. And so I'll ask you, does your social media life match your church life? If we put your social media feeds up in front of your Christian brothers and sisters, or even people that aren't your Christian brothers and sisters, but people that you respect, your coaches, your mentors, your friends, would you be embarrassed? You see, that's what Jesus is calling us to, to be be real. Whenever we're on Sunday, on Thursday night, on Monday, do your internet searches match your church Life? Does the tone with which you speak to your wife match your public tone? When people mess up, do you show them the same grace that you want people to show you? Be real. Don't be fake. Number seven, Jesus says, Be known as a peacemaker, not a pot stirrer. Be known as a peacemaker, not a pot stirrer. Verse nine, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. It's possible. Is it possible to live in a perfect world with no conflict and no no relational turmoil? The answer, of course, is no. It's impossible to live in a world like that. But that's why Paul says, if it be possible, as much as lies within you, try to live peaceable with all people. And so I'll ask you, Are you known for being a peacemaker or a pot stirrer? Sure, the Bible invites us to defend ourselves, but violence can't be our first resort. Being rough can't be our first resort. Arguing can't be our first resort. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Matt, I try to live peaceably with everyone. I just saw it on Facebook this week. But people are so ignorant that sometimes I have to say something. You ever felt that temptation? Come on, people are so ignorant. I have to say something. The truth is, no, you don't. I know that we think the entire world needs to hear our opinion on politics and COVID-19 and masks and school openings and business openings and conspiracy theories and everything else controversial. But the truth is, the world doesn't. And so what I want to just challenge you to do is I'm not saying to not express your your feelings and your beliefs and your opinions, but please do not, for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, do not die on hills that you don't need to die on. There is one hill 
that Jesus calls us to die on, and it's the hill called Calvary, and where there's a cross and, 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 a, and a blood-stained cross beam where Jesus gave his life for the world. That's the hill he invites us to die on. Please do not set up walls to the world based on your preferences and your opinions. Be known as a peacekeeper, not a pot stirrer. And lastly, number eight, make sure you're persecuted for good reasons, not for being a Jesus jerk. Make sure you're persecuted for good reasons, not for being a Jesus jerk. Notice verse 10 of Matthew 5. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are we gonna have persecution in this world? Absolutely. Jesus said, you will have persecution. You will have hard times. You will suffer. But if you feel persecuted for picking unnecessary fights, you're not being persecuted. If you feel persecuted for posting disrespectful memes, you're not being persecuted. If you feel persecuted for letting people have it and speaking your mind, you're not being persecuted. If you feel persecuted because you think you're a modern-day prophet, you're not being persecuted. A friend of mine sent me this meme that I had to share with you this week. And, it, and the meme actually made me laugh. What would Jesus do? He'd grab a whip and clean house. Um, there, there's so much about this picture. And my friend who sent it to me knew that there's so much that's wrong with it. Jesus didn't look like that. The people didn't look like that. And they weren't in like Greco uh, you know, architecture at the time whenever they did it. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Please, please, please don't take one instance out of Jesus's life. He actually did this. He went into the temple and he cleaned house. But there's several things about it. One, he had the divine prerogative. He was God. Two, there was a specific instance that the people in the temple, thing they were doing that required God to go in and clean house. But three, look at the entire life of Jesus. Look at how he loved. Look at how he taught. Look at how he engaged with the world. When he stood before Pilate, he stood there as a lamb that was dumb, a lamb that was silent. He stood there, he stood before for Pilate as a meek person, not as a bully. And so I would encourage you, remember, you and I aren't Jesus. It is possible to be completely right, but say the wrong, say it in the wrong way or at the wrong time. Make sure you're persecuted for good reasons, not for being a Jesus jerk. You say, Pastor Matt, why is it so important that we leverage our social media this way? Well, the answer is simple. Because the greatest influence on social media is a flourishing follower of Jesus. Go out this week and be just that. Not just the way you live, not just in the way you talk, but in the way you tweet, in the way you post and the way you engage with other people through your social media influence. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for the influence we can have in a church like this. 
Lord, by your grace to, to know that we can touch other people's lives, not just by what we do inside these walls, but by what we, we post and what we share throughout the, every day and every night. Lord, the, the opportunities are endless. I pray that you would help us, oh Lord, to be flourishing so that we can point other people to Jesus Christ and be salt and light. It's in his name we pray. Amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.